My name's Francisca Monahan, and you're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Hey there, Emerald Podcast listeners. This is Francisca Monahan. I'm the senior podcast editor here at the Daily Emerald, and today I'm here with... Christopher Trochi. I am the managing producer for the Daily Emerald, and we're going to talk about Sandy Rock. All right, so I'd like to get started um, by asking how you decided to do this story. I mean, we're we're not really in very close proximity to North Dakota here in Oregon, um, and it's quite a commitment to fly out there and spend as much time there as you did. Can you kind of talk about your inspiration to do this story? Um, okay, so actually I didn't fly. I it, I took two trips out there. The first trip, um, so it was over winter break actually this year. I um, had We had time down and I didn't have like any big plans uh, to go skiing or visit anybody. And I just thought, hey, this is a really prime uh, opportunity to go practice some journalism out, you know, outside of school, off the campus, go actually uh, learn about a situation that was taking place. And I, uh, I think the situation in Standing Rock is such a polarizing issue. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever been able to go or to be involved with something as um, prolific as what's taking place in Standing Rock currently. So um, the first trip was actually I uh, met up with some uh, local folks here in Eugene that had raised money and um, rented a U-Haul, a 26-foot U-Haul, and loaded it up with uh, donations from the community. And we actually drove nonstop all the way to Standing Rock. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah, that's a lot more of a commitment than flying. Um, What was it like when you got there? Like when you first got off the U-Haul? What did you see? What what was the atmosphere like? Were people thankful for the donations? Tell me, like, kind of put me there. Tell me what <clears throat> it was like. Um, sure. I think in order to understand what it's like to get there, you have to kind of get your like get into the mindset of what it took to get there. <laughs> um, so we drove for I think it was like thirty something hours. <laughs> And basically, once you leave Oregon, the weather gets bad. And uh, so it was icy and snowy and dark. And, you know, we're in, I was driving a 36 foot U haul with like no like traction tires and just going for it. So by the time you get there, like you're just so like zoned on driving and like being safe and not like making like any kind of like corrections to the wheel that would like send the U-Haul flying off a mountain that uh, when you finally, when we finally, when I finally climbed out of the U-Haul truck, I was like ready to kiss the ground. Like (laughs) I felt like I had been like uh, flying like a a jet fighter or something. I don't even know like how to describe that exactly. Um, When we got there, the first thing we did actually was go to the hotel where they have a, it's a hotel and casino there and they have a, um, a breakfast like buffet or something so we got buffet and then we all slept for I think like four hours and in the we got a hotel room immediately immediately when we got there and then uh, we went down to the camp to unload uh the the two trucks as far as like getting to camp I mean it was just like the hotel I think was uh, it's a few miles from the hotel to the actual camp 
and just driving there, it was just like this anticipation building. And you just like, it's like you've seen pictures and you've, you know, like listened to the, the or you've read the news and you, you know, you've heard these stories, but like to actually be there was like a surreal. And then like all of a sudden it's just like, you see like one flag, you know, poke up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the entrance. And then like you, you get to the entrance and you're driving through and there was a security checkpoint and they, you know, asked who, you know, who are, where are you from? And you know, what, what's going on? And we're like, Hey, we're from Eugene, Oregon and we're dropping off supplies. And it was just a, like, immediately you just feel like you're a part of a community. You know, you're just like, you have a, um, uh, a job to do. And, um, Basically, there's just like a really strong work ethic, work ethic taking place like the minute you get there. Yeah. So you were received like fairly well. People accepted you into that community right away. Well, so, I mean, as far as like, you know, getting into the camp, yeah, obviously, that was not a big deal at all. Um, and then unloading the trucks, it was just kind of like a whirlwind. Like we pulled up and then all of a sudden, like people just showed up and we started unloading and it really didn't take very much time at all to get the, the trucks unloaded. Um, I actually uh, grabbed my camera and just immediately started figuring out like how I was going to take photos with, you know, with all the snow. And I would, you know, I had to like kind of make some adjustments to what I usually shoot uh, when I'm out doing uh, stories. But yeah, I mean, everybody was really nice and they, they were really thankful to have uh, gotten more donations and stuff. So yeah, it was great. So you went there to practice journalism. How many people did you talk to while you were there on the first trip? As far as uh, like interviews, like official inter- interviews, I think I talked to about 15 people, like, I, you know, with recorded interviews. And uh, like another thing that I didn't talk about that, that I think is important is the uh, getting media access in at Standing Rock was actually really difficult. You, uh, um, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through and the, the security was actually really good. They, uh, you know, they were they were controlling the situation uh, like immediately. So I think they were kind of worried about like looky lose, like people coming out just to take pictures and um, kind of maybe uh, document something that was would would be insensitive to publish later or you know put on your Facebook or something. Um, you know, I think a lot of people showed up out there, or a lot of people went to Sandy Rock for uh, with good intentions, but kind of like a, a party attitude. So I think that. Um, you know, that's it's an important observation that you have to actually have a press badge and you have to be affiliated with a, a news uh, organization to be able to do work out there. OK, so you had a press badge from the Emerald or how did you how did you jump through those hoops? So I uh, actually like in the weeks leading up to winter break, I had kind of been thinking, I was like, you know, I think over winter break, I, I definitely want to go to Standing Rock. So I started to make calls to the uh, reservation and the the media groups that are um, affiliated with the um, the tribes the tribe up there and uh, the camps and uh, so I kind of had like a prearrangement I brought um, some documentation I actually brought a couple like uh, copies of the emerald with me of the articles that I had done and uh, just you know a wing and a prayer like making sure you know when I got there that everything would have uh, would gel. On that first trip, is there any experience that really like sticks out to you or a conversation you had or an interview or a picture you took? Um, yeah, I think like uh, there was a lot of different poignant moments during, you know, the first trip and the second trip. I think the the point where you realize that most people 
this is like a wild generalization, but I think a lot of people feel like their job is to like save Native Americans. And I mean, it's like you don't really, I don't think you like connect with that until you're like confronted <laughs> like by somebody that's saying like, why are you here? What are you doing here? Like, what's the reason you came to Standing Rock? And it's like, well, I want to tell the story. Uh, but they're like, well, why do you want to tell the story? And because, oh, because it's important. Well, why is it important? And then like, you know, like if you just, you know, cold shoulder somebody or like, you know, just come up to somebody and be like, hey, listen, I'm doing this story. I'd like to talk to you about it. They're just like, well, I don't know you. And why would I want to talk to you? You have to like earn the opportunity to be able to uh, learn about people's lives. And I think that that's something that maybe a lot of media people don't realize is that maybe the first or second thing you do when you're reporting on like cultural issues isn't ask for an interview. You know, maybe maybe it's more about understanding the 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 community that you're you're in and um, showing, you know, showing, not telling people what you're about. All right. And then you came back after this initial trip and you wh- when did you go again and why did you decide that you needed to like, did you need to supplement what you already had? You needed more or what inspired the second trip? So the trip got cut short and it we were put in a position where it was like time to go back. And I had been working on getting an interview with uh, the chairman of Standing Rock. And like one of the first things I did was uh, try to get that set up. And it didn't look like it was going to happen. It didn't look like it was going to happen. And then the day that the caravan was leaving, we got the call that uh, he was going to be able to make some time to meet. And so then I I, like, I actually didn't drive back with the caravan. I uh, stayed the extra day and uh, got the interview. I ended up uh, going to Bismarck the next day to fly back to uh, Portland, and I got snowed in in Bismarck for three days in a blizzard. And I mean, the snow was like up to the door handles of the hotel. It was crazy. Like wow. I've I've seen some snow in my life, but that was a lot of snow. So yeah, I got back and I realized I was like I didn't really have I didn't have an ending. I didn't have um, enough. Like I I I felt like. Uh, I had learned a lot while I was there kind of about myself and, you know, things that I need to work on. And um, so like through that reflective process, I was like, I got to go back. I, I need to, I need to wrap this up. I, it's just like, it was just hanging there. It, I don't know. There was just, there was, it, there was a calling. <laughs> like yeah, I had to go back and, um, and uh, so I did, I went back. I, I flew this time. The drive, I was plenty. That drive was crazy the first time. I wasn't going to try to drive again. And time was uh, limited. I actually missed about a week of uh, classes in order to do the second trip to uh, get the ending of the story. And what was the ending of the story? Well, turns out the ending of the story, there there isn't an ending to the story because the thing that... Um, the thing that happened, like the most polarizing thing that happened on that trip was I went to a, uh, tribal council meeting where the, the tribal council decided that they were no longer going to support the camps, the, the protest camps. So they, uh, you know, unanimously decided that the, the impact that the, the protest was having on the reservation itself was, uh, too much, uh, too much to bear. And so they pulled their support. So, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I I had heard some stuff about some changes taking place and that, um, you know, the kind of the conditions of the camp were getting a little, um, 
CD and it was, you know, there, it seemed like something needed to happen. And I thought maybe that the camp would be moved to another location on the reservation and it, you know, in kind of a surprising, uh, turn of events, they, they pulled all their support. So it, it really like shook up the whole process. It shook up the whole story. I didn't really know what to do at that point. Um, so how did you decide to end the story? Um, the thing that took place while I was there, like with the, the chairman uh, in the, the tribal council pulling their support for the, the camps was uh, a big shakeup for everybody. But like the way the, the people in the camp uh, responded to it was interesting. You know, there was a lot of frustration and upset, you know, or emotional reactions going on. But uh, I talked to a guy named uh, Edward P. Blackcloud. And he uh, was really disappointed about the situation. He, he was very critical of the council. But in the end, you know, when, when after it was like, an, uh, you know, an awkward silence and uh, he, he was, you know, kind of in a, like a pensive uh, state, he said, you know, he's like, yeah, but uh, we changed things. Uh, we started something that uh, is, is going to have a lasting effect. Like, and, you know, when I talked to him about that, you know, we talked about uh, Native American sovereignty and talking about, uh, you know, kind of like this awakening that he hoped that would take hold through the, the course or through through what took place at Standing Rock um, for for the rest of the world to see. And I think, you know, being back in Oregon, it's interesting when I talk to people because I feel like something has changed. I feel like um, people are more aware uh, the, of Native American issues than they ever have been before. You know, I think the last time, you know, like when I talk to when I talk to other folks um, that are, have a little bit more experience, they you know they talk about wounded knee and they talk about um, some of these other things that have happened in the past. And I just feel like uh, Standing Rock had a really uh, positive impact, and I think it'll continue to have a positive impact as we see these other camps com- like cropping up across the uh, country at other. Uh, reservations. So um, basically what what ended up like what I what I took away from it was there is no ending to this story. This is actually just the beginning of the story. So in order to to write, I, I chose a different style. Um, we're going to do like um, vignettes of uh, different people's experience and different people's feelings and kind of chronicle the time I was there through the the vignettes. So there's this, it's a really cool scene setter beginning and then it goes into um, people's lives and how they feel and what they hope. And I hope that people can take away from, you know, the article uh, an experience. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. So my last question is, if you've had any contact with people from Standing Rock, from the camp there since the camp's, um, since it's cleanup, I guess, to put it lightly. Yeah, uh, cleanup might not be the best way to describe it. But um, yeah, I've been in contact with uh, a lot of the people. And I think I'll be in contact with those, with, you know, the people you read about in the article uh, for, I hope, the rest of my life. I think that I... Uh, I'm honored to know them and I have a responsibility to the story now and uh, you know years down the road the Native American issues aren't going to disappear and uh, do you know if any of them still have that kind of 
hopeful attitude that they started a conversation and this is not an ending story. The story doesn't have an end yet, even though um, the result of Standing Rock didn't go the way many people had hoped. Has that dampened anyone's spirits or are they still looking forward? Um, I mean, a lot of the people I talk to at Standing Rock are at other camps now. So um, as far as I can't pretend to understand how how crushed people feel about what's taking place in Standing Rock. It's got to be an extremely frustrating situation, but uh, I don't think uh, giving up or quitting is part of the equation. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I think it's important for people to get involved with their communities. I think that we need to like get outside of our comfort zone and you know be a member of your community and understand how uh, things are connected and um, ask lots of questions and uh, take the time that's needed to listen to the answers. All right. Thank you, Christopher Trochi, for sharing your experiences with us. This podcast is a part of the Emerald's latest E1 story called Protecting the Water. It includes photo and video content and a beautiful piece written by Christopher. So don't forget to check it out either on the stands this week or on our website, dailyemerald.com. This episode was produced by myself, Francisca Monahan, and the music you heard is by Poddington Bear. If you like this podcast, please leave us a comment on our website or SoundCloud, and don't forget to subscribe and write us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.